There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Yes, 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 they were there. And they're still there. They're always there. And uh, in the next segment of the show, I'm actually be, I will actually be talking to a... Uh, a gentleman who has really experienced just about every horror of war that um, one can imagine, but has come through, as so many of our brave men and women come through. Israel Del Toro, his story is inspiring, and I thought in anticipation of the Independence Day holiday that we would you know, just spend a couple of uh, moments talking to a real warrior, a real hero, and uh, and and find out uh, exactly what was involved in his coming back uh, to life from. Well, I'm going to let it. I'm going to leave it for him to explain his stories. He's, uh, he's written a great book called *The Patriot's Promise*, which will actually um, become available on the 4th of July, which I think is just, uh, you know, a great bit of timing. Uh, and we will talk to him. But I think often of the brave men and women who are so seldom remembered, especially by the political class. You know, it's always like an afterthought. Well, you know, did, uh, did we put funding in for the, the uh, VA hospitals? And uh, what, what kind of programs do we have for returning soldiers and sailors and airmen and, and coast guard and everything else. And, and we just, um, we seem to, to quickly forget the enormous amount of sacrifice. And uh, I use Fridays to make sure that this audience doesn't forget. Because I owe a debt of gratitude to every single person that uh, ever did the right thing and put their life on the line. So, of course, the Supreme Court decisions have come down, and apparently they've angered Jack Smith, right? Jack Smith, the prosecutor in the Donald Trump case, because now, apparently, they are preparing to seek indictments against a number of people in President Trump's orbit and even may bring additional charges against the ex-president in the weeks to come. Now, mind you, this has proven to be one of the most unpopular prosecutions ever. You know, everything they've done to try and eliminate Donald Trump from ever getting office again has backfired dramatically. You know, his poll numbers go up. And, and I, just, I just don't understand it, but, I, you know, I'm just going to watch. You know, the Department of Justice is not 
unable to hear the clang of all the people who are just furious that there seem to uh, there seems to be a two-tiered system of justice in this country. And no matter how many times they deny that, the majority of people in this country are not only aware that it's so, but they've been clamoring about this for a long time, and now this just verifies it. And it's not just conservative versus liberal. It's not just poor versus rich, black versus white. There are multiple systems of justice in this country, but we've never had our faces rubbed in it in quite this manner. And I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's working well. So uh, I'm going to hold back. But I w am absolutely fascinated by the reaction of the left to these Supreme Court decisions that have come down because most of them are very constitutionally sound and they're falling along ideological lines and all you hear the left saying is, you see what happens when you let Donald Trump get in office? He put in all these uh, crazy Supreme Court justices who actually read and uphold the Constitution. We can't have that. You know, and it just, it just is, uh, is amazing to watch. The Supreme Court has struck down the student loan forgiveness um, program that J Joe Biden had decided he was going to put in place. It would have eradicated uh, $10,000 in debt for any borrower who earns less than $125,000 a year, which is just about every borrower first getting into work, right? Uh, it's been blocked since October because it was challenged by a number of Republican states. And this landmark ruling came within 24 hours of the affirmative action decision at college. So, you know, this is truly an interesting day for the left. They've been, you know, they've been slapped and they've been slapped hard. And so, mind you, they're not going to come after the Supreme Court justices anymore. Now they're going to come after Donald Trump. It's all his fault. Everything is always Donald Trump's fault, right? So I'm just going to hold on to the, to the good feeling that I have that the Constitution still matters. Chief Justice John Roberts said in a majority opinion that a move requires that Congress speak clearly before a Department of Education secretary can un unilaterally alter large sections of the American economy. So, of course, the three liberal justices, the three, um, uh, uh, Kintanji Brown, uh, Elena Kagan, and um, Sonia Sotomayor, they were in favor of allowing this debt forgiveness, and the conservative justices and whatever you call Justice Roberts, because he's certainly not a conservative, they were all against it because it's just there's no way that you can allow presidents and Department of Education secretaries to make decisions that affect the financial well-being of this country. There are banks involved in this. There are, uh, you know, actual governmental agencies that underwrite loan, loans that are involved in this, and they weren't asked. You know, this was just some uh, giveaway to get young people to vote for Joe Biden. And let me tell you something. I was looking at new statistics coming out of the Gallup poll, and you know how to feel about polls. You know, they're, they're a, a Kodak snapshot of a moment. And they may 
um, actually speak to the mood of the country, or they may not, or it may not last. But the mood of the country, according to the Gallup pollsters, and even an ABC poll, news poll, the mood of the young people in this country are not in favor of the Biden administration. You can't give them enough loan forgiveness. How about that? And young people who always challenge the authorities are, in fact, declaring themselves pro-Trump. Because young people understand that if you allow a Department of Justice to jail people and prosecute people because of their political beliefs, it could be them one day. See, they understand that. Older folks, we, you know, we, we understand it, but we're not too worried, you know. A lot of the people my age tell me, like, eh, it's not going to matter. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. Well, I feel responsible about my children and my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I, I feel like, you know, we made a big mess out of a lot of things, and we should fix as much of it as possible. And we certainly uh, should be paying attention. But apparently, a lot of people just don't want to pay attention. Young people are paying attention. President Biden's student loan giveaway is unlawful. 87% of Americans who have no student loans should not be forced to pay for the 13% of Americans who do have student loans. That's just basic fairness, okay? I, I, I shouldn't have to explain that to anybody. This is unlawful, uh, and, and, and it's just not going to it's not going to fly this time. The majority went on to rebut the liberal justices' dissent in which the Democrat-appointed justices argued that student loans are in the education secretary's wheelhouse. Yeah, they just make it up. And there's been a lot of criticism of the Supreme Court's decisions. And the chief justice said, it has become a disturbing feature of some recent opinions to criticize the decisions with which they disagree as going beyond the proper role of the judiciary. He went on to defend their conclusion, saying precedent, old and new, requires that Congress speak clearly before a department secretary can unilaterally alter large sections of the American economy. We have employed the traditional tools of judicial decision-making in doing so. Reasonable minds may disagree with our analysis. In fact, at least three do, the opinion states, referring to Kagan, Sotomayor, and Jackson, we do not mistake this plainly heartfelt disagreement for disparagement. It is important that the public not be misled either. Any such misperception would be harmful to this institution and our country. There you have it. Anyway, um, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to try to stay on time because we have a guest coming up in this next segment, and I want to be able to give him enough time to speak. Uh, don't forget to download our app, the 850 WFTL app, or visit our website so you can participate in our contest. We're giving away gift certificates and lots of good stuff. Just download the 850 app and you can listen to my No Restraint podcast anytime you want. I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
You know, everybody who listens to this program knows that I try to devote as much time on Fridays to honoring the men and women who serve in the United States military. And every now and then, you know, you'll hear a story and it's so inspiring and it's so amazing that you feel as though um, you want to hear more. And I have a guest today, uh, Israel Del Toro. He was an Air Force Special Ops paratrooper whose life was unbelievably affected on, I think it was December 5th of 2005, when he suffered burns over 80% of his body. And he has agreed to come on the show with me today. How are you, sir? Good, ma'am. Thank you for having me, Joyce. Well, you know, you don't understand, or I guess maybe you're beginning to understand, what an inspiration a man like you is to those of us who don't understand why patriotism in this country is something we have to question. Um, somebody who, who's been through what you've been through and still considers themselves a patriot, I have to bring you on the air because you have to inspire the rest of us, okay? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Now, now tell the story because I have the book, your book um, is coming out, I guess, on July 4th, which is a great day to have a book release. And it's called A Patriot's Promise, but it talks about not just what happened to you, but everything since. So could you just give us like a thumbnail about the book? Yeah, uh, the book's based off a promise I made to my dad uh, right before he passed. Uh, I was 12 years old uh, when my dad last spoke to me and the last thing he told me was promise me that you always take care of your brothers and sisters and your family. Mm-hmm. So that promise, you know, and, and my dad eventually passed away the very next morning. Uh, that promise has shaped who I am. Mm-hmm. Yes, that promise first involved my mom and my brothers and sisters. Then when I lost my mom, my brothers and sisters, then when I joined the military, my teammates, then when I got hurt, you know, to my wounded service members, and now it's like anyone that feels like doesn't have a voice, I'll fight for them because they're my family to continue to honor my dad. So that promise has evolved from the, the very beginning and it shaped who I was. You know, I, any obstacle I went through, I, I will rely on that promise because I, I, my dad was my hero. My dad was everything for, to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would, never wanted to let him down. So anytime I felt like I was getting down or just like, I'll just remember, remember what your dad said. Know what your dad said, mm-hmm. and, and, and it shaped me, and it's helped yeah. me through a lot of obstacles. Uh, not only as a young as a young kid, but as a grown adult too. You know, as a wounded service member, it has really helped me a lot. Yeah. Now, for the sake of the listeners, you have to understand that um, Israel was in a Humvee that ran over an IED. Um, what do you remember about that? Well, I, I, for me, when when I got hit, I remember this intense heat blast on the left side, and I was like, holy crap, I just got hit. Mm-hmm. And, and you people talk about how your life flashed in front of you. but uh, And I never believed that, but man, when I got hit, it was like a little movie reel. Mm-hmm. You know, like those old times where you can't see pictures, but picture. Right. But, the things that I remember, like distinctly, was things that hadn't happened yet that were supposed to happen. The three ones that I remember is like me and my wife finally getting married by the, by the Catholic Church after our third attempt. Us honeymooning in Greece, because uh, that's where she's always wanted to go. But lastly, was me teaching my boy how to play ball. 
because mm-hmm. I was a big baseball guy. Right. Uh, and then something kind of told me to get out of the truck, and I got out of the truck. When I got out of the truck, I was on fire, on, on fire from head to toe, and I tried and turned to run to the creek that uh, I knew we had crossed, but the flames overtook me, and I'm laying there thinking this is it, and I'm thinking to myself, I broke my promise to my family that I'll, I'll always come back. Mm. I broke my promise to my son that I'll never let him grow up without his dad like I did. But most importantly, I'm, I'm breaking my promise to my dad mm. that, I, that I always take care of my family. So, you know, even then, you know, I never really thought about it until someone was like, dude, even when you were hurt, you were thinking about your family. It's like, yeah, I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my teammate helps me out. I said, DT, you're not going to die here. And we jumped into the creek. And the, the sound that I heard was the same sound one hears when you put a hot pan in cold water mm. instead of a pan it was my body. Wow. And it, it, the the recovery was long and arduous. I mean, you were in a coma for how long? Yeah, I was in a coma for four months. So I got hurt December 4th, 05, and I woke up March of 06. Unbelievable. And, and it's crazy when you're in a coma because it doesn't really hit you until like a year later when you get out of it. Mm-hmm. Like I, like I said earlier, I'm a big baseball guy, and I remember it was like January of 2007, and I'm watching Sports Center, and all of a sudden they talk about the one-year anniversary of Curry Puckett's death. I'm like, when did Curry Puckett die? Wow. Uh, it was when yeah. I was in a coma. That's when it really hits you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, four months of my life I have no memory of. But almost in a way, you know, when I was reading through the your your bio, I'm thinking to myself, you know, who would, you know, h- how you were spared uh, some of the most excruciating pain as a direct result of the fact that you didn't know you were there. Yeah, uh, that, that, that is, uh, you know, when you know, I, I when I talk, I tell about how, you know, when I got hurt and I get put in a coma so I can recover. And the story of my, my wife and my son begins because I like to include, I wanted to include them in that because a lot of times we focus on servicemen, which is right, rightfully so, but we forget about our fa- the families that mm. see us at our worst. Like I said, I, when you're in a coma, you don't know what's going on. Right. But it's your, it's your loved ones that are called and told that your service member either passed or he's really hurt. Or making decisions on, hey, we have to amputate his fingers, or he's going to gonna get infected and it's going to get worse, or he could possibly die, or getting caught, rush over here, because we don't think he's going to make it. Mm-hmm. And and I thought I I, I wanted to include that story because I, I thought it was important to remember that the family sees us at our worst. Yeah. And that's what I always say. You know, we do focus as, and justifiably so, on our service member and their injuries. But the family is involved from the very beginning. First, they live with the dread that something might happen to you. Then they get the call or the visit and something has happened. And now they have to go through every step of the recovery, if that's God's will, with you. And people don't give them enough courage. That's one of the things I love about Tunnels to Towers is that they pay attention to the family members of the wounded veterans because 
look, uh, you know, the, the kind of horrific injuries that you suffered in Afghanistan left you disfigured and you had to be fearful of, you know, what, what was your wife going to think? What was your, your young son going to say when they saw you? Yeah, you know, uh, obviously my wife, you know, she got to see me right away uh, mm -hmm. uh, in, in the hospital. But my three-year-old son, he wasn't allowed in. And people don't realize when you're severely burned, you're pretty much skinned alive. Mm -hmm. And the reason they do that, because it ain't the burns that kill people, it's the infection. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she would see that, and and she saw that. So she was used to, you know, she was a go. I guess she was used to seeing me. Right. But when I finally saw myself, because again, they 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 skin you alive, and they mm -hmm. want to ease you into your new transition. So the hospitals cover up the mirrors. Mm -hmm. They don't want to shock you right away. Right. And I remember when I did see myself. For the first time, and, and I, I called it my darkest hour. Uh, I never wished I had died in my recovery, not once until that day. Mm. And and I broke down, and yeah. I, I told my wife, and I told my therapist Gary, who's like was a guardian agent to me, that I should have died. Mm. He should have let me die. And it wasn't a vanity thing. No, it really wasn't. It was like if, if I'm a 30 year old man and I think I'm a monster. What's my three-year-old son going to think? Because my son was my everything. He was my spark. Mm -hmm. I like to say we all have a spark that drives us, that keeps us going. And he was mine. And the thought of my son being afraid of, afraid of me terrified me. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't want that. And, and it took about 45 minutes to, for my wife and my therapist to calm me down because, you know, they try to use everything from. Mm -hmm. You don't know how many people you inspire Right. How you keep going to do some of the, the most intense pain. Mm -hmm. You keep going. It's like, don't give us. Like, I don't care. And mm -hmm. then Gary said a thing that calm, really calmed me down. It's like, DT, all your son wants is dad back. Yeah. Trust me. That's all he wants. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it calmed me down. But I still always had that in the back of my mind mm -hmm. until I, I, you know, the day I saw my son finally. Yeah. And as just as had been predicted, he just wanted his dad back, and he ran up. Yeah, to his, yeah. 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 I walked in, you know, and this this would have been like almost end of May, uh, early June when I finally saw my son. So there would have been already like um, eight, nine months last time I saw him. Mm -hmm. And you know, I come in, and his mom tells him that I'm home, and he comes running, and he sees me, and stops, and. I'm like, oh, my God, he's afraid of me. And he just looks at me, tilts his head to the side, and it's like, and says, Papi? I'm like, yeah, buddy. And just comes up and gives me the most amazing hug I've ever had in my life. The most Amen. amazing moment. Yeah. Besides watching him being born. Yeah. And I remember my wife saying, don't hurt your dad. I'm like, shut up, woman. Let me hold my boy. Yeah, this don't yeah. hurt. I've had pain. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> But yeah, you, Gary was right. All my son wanted was his dad back. That's right. And so you do go out and you speak for foundations and for all these organizations. You get to hang around with people like Gary Sinise, who's one of my heroes, and, you know, President Bush. But the most amazing piece of your story was how you became the first airman who was considered completely disabled to re-enlist in the Air Force? Like, what possessed you? 
I know people always ask, they ask that, like, why? Why do you want to continue to serve, you know? Nice, nice. Because, you know, I started public speaking, and people will say, it's like, DT, just get out. You'll make, not only get your retirement, you'll make money as a public speaker, and they make a lot, and, and they do, they make a lot of money, some mm-hmm. of them. And and I my response was like, you know, there's a lot of people out there that make a lot of money and hate their job. Mm. And, and I love my job. I love being serving my country. I love being in the Air Force. I love being a tech mm. So why do I want to give that up for a couple bucks? Yeah. And now, and and February of 2010, that's when I became the first 100% disabled airman ever to enlist in the Air Force. And you're an instructor now, so I mean, you you continue to inspire future service members. I, I did. I was an instructor. I came back. You know, as much as I I wanted to go back down range, be an operator, you know, I know I couldn't until mm-hmm. we become like Star Wars and I could a cool Luke Skywalker hand <laughs> and use a Jedi mind trick on everyone. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're not there. I know I can instruct, and so I did that. I instructed, and then I did that for a couple of years, and I became a world class athlete, uh, uh, competing for the Paralympics and shooting and and track and field, and then. I ended my career working at the Air Force Academy, teaching vets how to skydive. Wow. And I retired August of 2019 after 23 years. And and then set pen to paper to write the book. And I'm so looking forward to to you know to getting it. It's going to be released on uh, Tuesday, which is July 4th, and it's called A Patriot's Promise. And can they pre-order it on Amazon, Israel? Yes, ma'am. They can they can pre-order any. Uh, any of the bookstores, you know, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all these other other online entities that can order it, pre-order it, and they should receive it. Uh, if they order it to ship to their house by uh, July 5th, but they ordered it to pick up at the store, it will be available for them on July 4th. All right. Well, when I get my copy, you have to promise that you'll uh, sign it for me. Oh, for sure, ma'am. Uh, you know, for sure. I will sign it with, with, with great pleasure. And, and thank you, thank you for supporting not only me but other service members out there. I right, listen. Do. Thank you. Thank you for everything you've done, and tell your wife I say uh, thank you as well because I know it's been a rough road for her. Thanks so much, uh, Israel Del Toro. The book is a Patriot's Promise on sale right now. You can pre-order it, and uh, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. People give up way too easily, is my opinion. You know, I met with someone this morning who was uh, running for office and won't give up. And, and, you know, and I'm always like so harsh with candidates. You know, (laughs) I try to paint the worst case scenario just to see what they're made of. And I was super impressed at, uh, you know, this man's determination. His wife is totally supportive. And, uh, you know, people, people should know that when you talk about, political office and running for political office, there's a, there's a sort of this perfect balance of humility and confidence that has to be evident. And I must admit, I was completely surprised um, at, the, at this, this potential candidate. Now, I won't get into any more detail than that. I'll be interviewing him soon. And just, uh, you know, I, I was very pleasantly surprised. Because I'll tell you what, most of the time when I meet with people, I'm either super enthusiastic or just like dismissive. 
And but I always treat them rough. You know, if you can't stand a couple of questions and a couple of reality checks from me, you ain't got a prayer because politics has grown extremely expensive and nasty. And uh, and you got to be kind of the right the right cloth. Uh, uh, one of the stories, I mean, obviously the Supreme Court decisions are the big stories, um, but one of the stories that was sneaking by, and I really uh, kind of uh, didn't realize that this was even happening, was an abortion law in Maine. And the Maine House passed a bill that would allow abortions at any stage of pregnancy, under certain circumstances, but they so far they have not stated what those specific circumstances are. And the bill passed in the House and now it goes back to the Senate, this is in the state of Maine, before it reaches the desk of the governor, who by the way sponsored the bill, so will definitely sign the bill. And the timing of the vote just one day after the anniversary of the Dobbs decision it really makes me wonder what the, you know, whether that's uh, deliberate and what their motivations are. And there's a lot of debates going on around the country, a lot of discussion about abortion going on around the country, which I think is appropriate and healthy. I think that, uh, that the problem with Roe v. Wade always was that uh, it was based on lousy law and it did not take into consideration the fact that in different parts of the country, different ideas about the sanctity of life prevail. And not just that, but there's scientific evidence that didn't exist when Roe v. Wade um, was the decision. We didn't have access to the kinds of scientific uh, proof of, of, of life that we do today. I mean, I, I look at these sonograms. People will send me a sonogram of their child or grandchild that are so incredibly detailed at very, 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 very early stages of pregnancy that you'd have to, you know, admit that at least it would give you pause if you saw a fetus and it looked like a human being, which is in my opinion, what a fetus is. It is an undeveloped human being. So this move in Maine to green light abortion right up until the end of uh, you know a pregnancy, which of course did pass in New York, no surprise there. And I'm sure you know uh, California has got those very liberal abortion laws. But I got to tell you, Maine. You know, I have a friend who lives in Maine right now, and I'm trying to to, to, to you know, Maine is kind of it's got two sides to it. It's got the original Maine people who are largely conservative. And then it's got all the transplants from places like New York who either showed up there as hippies in the 60s or showed up now fleeing COVID. And they are changing the prevailing attitudes of people in the state of Maine. And I don't know how that, how that, um, how that's going to play out long term. But I do know one thing, that over 200,000 lives have been saved since the Dobbs decision a year ago. That's the estimate. Um, it's based on analysis by the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America organization, and it highlights the profound impact 
of protecting the unborn. And that's a, that's a huge achievement. And think about that. 200,000 people would fill a city the size of Grand Rapids, Michigan, or Chattanooga, Tennessee. And the statistics even more striking when you think about the estimated 64 million abortions that were performed in the 50 years after Roe v. Wade. You know, the scale of that loss is, is unimaginable, really. And so, you know, despite all of the pounding of their chests from the Democrats, uh, two-thirds of Americans support some kinds of restrictions on abortion. So this main um, decision seems uh, like it's going to have uh, substantial pushback, or one can only hope. Um, I, you know, I've given up trying to predict, wi predict where the American public is going to fall on just about any subject. The other decision that was pretty interesting that um, the Supreme Court handed down was basically saying, which I have always believed, that uh, private businesses have a right to determine what work they take. You know, this was a decision the conservative majority ruled on uh, this morning that a Christian graphic artist who wants to design wedding websites can absolutely refuse to work with a same-sex couple. One of the court's liberal justices wrote in a dissent that the decision's effect is to mark gays and lesbians for second-class status and that it opens the door to other discrimination. Nonsense, okay? The court ruled that designer Lori Smith, despite a Colorado law that bars discrimination based on sexual orientation or race or gender or any other characteristics, um, has free speech rights. And that, you know, that means that she can make this uh, choice for her business. And by the way, if it impedes her business, she may change her mind. And the idea that everybody immediately says, oh, well, maybe then she doesn't want to serve black people or she doesn't want to serve Muslim customers or Jewish customers or interracial couples or interfaith couples. You know, those are, you know, just throwing stupid stuff at stupid people. Neil Gorsuch did write the uh, opinion that says the First Amendment envisions the United States as a rich and complex place where all persons are free to think and speak as they wish, not as the government demands. And the court has long held that the opportunity to think for ourselves and to express our thoughts freely is among our most cherished liberties and part of what keeps our republic strong. And of course, the dissent was written by Justice Sotomayor, who said, today, for the court for the first time in its history, they always preface everything, grants a business open to the public a constitutional right to refuse to serve members of a protected class. Come on, stop with the protected classes already. You know, a website designer doesn't determine whether or not a couple can get married or a couple can have a website. It just... It's their opinion, and they don't want to have to go along with something they don't believe in. You know, so it's a, it's a win for religious rights. It's a win for free speech. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry if it upsets the left, and I'm sorry if it upsets, you know, the, the, the gay movement. It shouldn't upset anybody.
Anyway, don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock, Dan Bongino. At 4 o'clock, Ben Shapiro. At 5 o'clock, Matt Walsh. And then at 6 o'clock, the WPTV News. And then we kick off a long weekend for most people, the 4th of July weekend, where you get to do all kinds of cool stuff, including watch fireworks. We'll be setting off fireworks ourselves at our um, church campus, as we do every year, because we celebrate the Independence Day. I'm going to take a quick break, but I do have one segment left. Stay right where you are. Fascinating side note that uh, one of my listeners sent to me said, I deliver unsold bagels to the homeless in West Palm Beach at least once per week. Just because it helps me, makes me have gratitude. I really enjoy it. Trump came up in a conversation and all the homeless guys, particularly the African-American ones, supported Trump because, quote, he has testicular fortitude, only they use the other word. And they, they think that Trump doesn't care what people think of him, and that's a good thing. Only one holdout in the homeless camp was a Hispanic dude. <laughs> that's too funny. But, you know, thanks, David, for that uh, little bit of insight. Um, I'm telling you, the, the statistics are coming in that these young people, you know, they, they, um, they appreciate the big mouth, loud mouth, egocentric Donald Trump. Uh, Derek's not with me today. Uh, well, he's busy doing his actual job on TMZ. He's got doing TMZ Live today. So that's another show in addition to the TMZ nightly show that he is on. So uh, he won't be joining us. But I did, uh, I did ask him what the biggest stories were uh, today on TMZ. And he told me first and foremost, uh, Stephen King, who I abhor. I don't like Stephen King. I don't like his books. I don't like his uh, politics. I just don't like him. Um, he had a real uh, like nightmare, a real horror story at his home. He has a spiked fence around his home. And uh, apparently a deer was trying to jump over the fence, but it was too high. And so the the deer got skewered. Uh, a woman driving by spotted the injured deer and called 911. They had to put the deer out of its misery. But, uh, you know, that's what you get for for being a horror king. You might end up with a horror situation on your front lawn. The other story that Derek said was very interesting was that the Italian government has told Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk that they should fight like true gladiators and they will let them fight in the Colosseum. <laughs> okay, I might go to Italy, you know, for that. You know, an official from the government of Italy said you can have a UFC fight in probably the most legendary battleground in the entire world, Rome's Colosseum. I might have to actually make that trip, right? So the odds are coming in in, uh, in Vegas for this fight, which might go down. Um, you got the 39-year-old, five foot seven, weighing in at 145-pound Mark Zuckerberg, challenging the 51-year-old, six foot two, weighing in at 230 pounds, Elon Musk. And, you know, everybody's been talking about how Zuckerberg is a practitioner of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. 
But nobody has been talking about the fact that Elon Musk has been a, a karate, taekwondo, and judo student for years. By the way, the Colosseum is one of the seven wonders of the world. And there haven't been any large events held inside there for hundreds of years. And, you know, they only have a temporary seating within the theater. I think Paul McCartney did a concert there. Um, and that's the last thing I can remember. So we'll see. And uh, many more stories to talk about. So have a wonderful Independence Day weekend and holiday. Please be safe. Be safe with fireworks. Be safe on the roads. If you're traveling, be patient because it's apparently a nightmare out there. And of course, um, I'll meet you back here on Wednesday, July 5th, although we will have shows running on the uh, 3rd and 4th. Now, my plan is to be back here if it be his will and he delays his coming. May God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America as we celebrate the, uh, the revolutionary victory against Great Britain. See you all on Wednesday. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.